Kalyani. Daima Kalyani. Your seats behind, you can, or even if you guys move just, just a little bit forward, then people can. Oh, it's done. Okay. Did I just sit here or here? This is just right. Okay. Would you like some hibiscus? Hibiscus Tulsi tea. Yes. Hmm, this seems like Shiva and Kali combined. I mean, uh, Krishna and Kali combined. It seems a little Sword the blasphemous, mm. it seems. I don't yeah. know. Good for Palaharini, maybe. Yeah, there's Palaharini. This is a Palaharini. <laughs> O Mangalam Guru Devaya Devye Matriksha Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Brindebio Sarvalo Kaya Mangalam Om Stapakaya Chadharmasya Sarvadharma Sarupine Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishnaya Mangalam Om Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwaraha Guru Devo Param Brahman Tasmai Sri Guru Venamaha Sadashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Ashmarachara Prayantam Vande Gurum Param Param Vande Gurum Param Param Jai Madhyam come. I need to bring him a little bit closer here. You sit here. Can you? Or back here, back here. Okay. Um, so today, most auspicious day, uh, uh, Guru Purnima. In traditional sannyas culture, this is the only puja that sannyasis are allowed to actually do. Is Guru Purnima puja, right? Uh, uh, officially, you're not supposed to say Namaha or Swaha. All these in the super orthodox tradition. Uh, only the Guru can be wor- Guru Puja can be worshipped, and then we judge the age of a sannyasi by how many Guru Purnimas he's done as a sannyasi. So, so, so how old that would? I don't know how old I am. First Guru Purnima would have been in 1999. 99. That makes me 18. 18. I'm 18. Ah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I can sign my own notes at school now. <laughs> Yeah, so very, very nice. So this is what, what part of the tradition. Uh, so yeah, that's how we judge. And so you, that's even the way you judge ages between like traditions of respect of who bows to who in the sannyas tradition. Mm-hmm. And the first thing, they, I, I've had many, I meet sannyasis in India, Ramakrishna Mission. And they ask you, what year was your sannyas? And then and you tell them and then they do, they do really quick math. Like, okay. I can, then, then, then or like they wait. <laughs> there has to be even like sometime a month. You know, sometimes it's a Vasne Maharaj where, where he's like a month and a half ahead of me. So we have to bow to Vasne Maharaj. <laughs> anyway, the old, old tradition. So, so today is, uh, they call this Guru Purnima, uh, uh, beautiful full moon, beautiful weather for a full moon. It may rain tonight. We'll see. If it rains, all of a sudden we may have to run inside. We'll see. <laughs> You're following online, a rain cloud slowly coming towards us with lightning. Lightning nine miles away. Lightning nine miles away. Let's see what happens. Um, so this is, um, uh, uh, it's, it's also called Vyasa Purnima. This is the, actually, it's celebrated as the uh, uh, Jayanti, the birth anniversary, advent anniversary of Veda Vyas. Right? Uh, and it's also celebrated... But I'm not quite sure if the, I don't know the text where it says he's born on such and such Amavasha this particular month. But it's also celebrated the day that he started, he uh, uh, started to write Mahabharata by some people. There's different things that it's uh, uh, done, but it's connected to Vyasa. And 
Vyasa, the, the Guru, is considered a representative of Vyasa. And Swami Omananda, he had a very nice, he says that um, actually the asan, the seat of a, the Guru's seat, or anybody reading from the scriptures, is called the Vyasasan, Vyasa's seat. It's not Bhajanandasan or Chaitanandasan, Ambikanandasan, it's Vyasasan, it's Vyasa's seat. And Vyasa is only speaking the Vedas and Puranas and Tantra, the Vedic literature, the traditional literature. And therefore, the person who speaks that, speaks the Vedic literature, is, is, is a representative of Vyasa. And his Swami Omananda had an interesting criticism. He says, uh, I, you know, it's like I, I, I've spent my whole adult life, I also sometimes say I've spent my whole life, adult life studying the, the scripture tradition and, or, and, and the tradition. And uh, so far, he says, in all my study of the scripture, he said, I'm not a scholar, but I've, we know scholars, and some of my disciples are scholars, and they've done much research. Right? He says, uh, and so in their research, we haven't found my name anywhere. Right, Omananda is not there. Bhajananda is not there. Chaitananda is not there. Right, and so and and this, so anybody who's preaching their name, that's he says, that maybe they're great and they can preach their name, right? But it's not Guru. Guru should only preach the Vedas, only the message of the Vedas or the, the transcendental tradition. Right, otherwise they're not in this position of Yas. And then Guruji also said, uh, uh, like, there was one pres. Was Dr. Radhakrishnan the first president of India? I think he was. First president of India, Dr. Radhakrishnan, S. Radhakrishnan or something, right? And he's, of course, a hero. He was a great scholar, professor, and he was a teacher, and a, a great philosopher and scholar. And because, and he's a hero, right? And because he was a teacher, his birthday is celebrated as Teacher's Day, right? So then everybody goes and worships, honors their teacher. You bring gifts to your, you know, in India, it's, there's a lot of deference to teachers. Uh, and so, like that, it's his birthday. It's not your teacher's birthday. But because he represents teachers and your teacher represents him, people people bring presents to their teacher and go do pranams to their t their teachers at school on his birthday. So Guruji said similarly on, on Vyasa's uh, birthday, on Vyasa's day, we got the representative of Vyasa. We don't have Vyasa, but we have it's a way of honoring the teachers. Uh, so very auspicious. In our ashram in India, there's a big we have two big bandaras every year the, on Guruji on Guruji's Mahasamadhi day and on Guru Purnima. Guru Purnima is a little complicated. It's rainy season, so sometimes it's rain. We have to put. It's not easy to have to feed a thousand people and entertain a thousand people when it's raining. You know, I mean, usually pouring, not raining. <laughs> it's a rainy season in Allahabad right now, so we'll see how. I'll call tonight and see how it how the feeding went. Uh, at least probably a thousand. Uh, first the sadhus invited sadhus and sannyasis, babas. Then the Brahmins from the Brahmin students from the local uh, Sanskrit schools, then all the devotees of the ashram, and then the, the children from the various schools, then then the uh, then then whatever is that even then and then, and by that time people realize oh there's a bandara coming so people begin to just show up, people were hungry and poor like that and so pretty soon everybody, all day long you've been to bandara you know you've been to bandara at ashram the Guruji's bandara I think right, it's quite something and everybody's given also dakshina. Sami, I remember Sami Govindananda told you, in America you pay to be to eat. Here they pay you to eat. <laughs> they invite you to eat, and then they also give some money to each person. It's a very nice tradition. Very very nice to get the blessing. Everybody should leave happy and honored. Um, so we had a little by Sami grace. We had a very nice Kitri Bandara today. We've had a few sadhus. Very very nice. That's the main food of Bandaras. 
So I want. I was thinking that last last week we cancelled our satsang uh, uh, due to some health and some other situations, but we were here, right? And a few people showed up thinking it was satsang, right? They didn't see online that we had cancelled it, so I thought, okay, we can get sit here and we read. And so we read from Swami Vivekananda uh, one talk called Discipleship, one of my favorite talks. And we'd finished, we didn't quite finish, we, we read in one section. Probably two months ago, we also canceled because of rain. We canceled the sake, we were out here in the rain, you know. And a few people showed up anyway. So we went to my in the, in the and we, we read the beginning of that. So we were a little bit thinking about Swami Vivekananda's lecture on discipleship. We, we still have like two sentences, two paragraphs left of that. We ran out of time last week. Uh, so I was thinking we can finish that, but we never developed this. This group of people hasn't developed those beginnings, so we'll finish that another time. But in his Bhakti Yoga, Bhakti Yoga Swami Vivekananda, there is a talk, or sections of a talk. Just one's called the Need of the Guru, and qualifications of the aspirant and the teacher. And Bhakti Yoga is very small. It's the smallest of Swami Vivekananda's four yogas. Maybe Karma Yoga is small. I'm not sure. But he gives a translation of Bhakti Sutta, I think. But it's very. Um, uh, it's very strong. Yeah, uh, he, he's explained I, I, when I, I read it, and I had a little bit of a revelation, kind of interpretation tool of this text, some of these talks that he's um, he's explaining simple things to people who've never heard of these things. Right? He explains the Ishtadevata. He explains karma. He explains uh, what's a mantra. He explains what's a guru. He explains what it means to be a disciple. He explains. Uh, um, uh, the Ishtadevas, these, these things that people, intelligent people had very intelligent, learned uh, audiences, but they had no background in these things. So, if you want to talk about it's so he's explaining people who've never heard. And so, there's a benefit of that because you go down to the very base, uh, very intelligent, but from the basics, basics on up. So, I thought this would be a good thing to read. We can discuss. Let me find it again. In the previous chapter uh, sections, he talks about what is Ishwara, because what is Bhakti? Definition of Bhakti, and in the uh, in the um, uh, Narada Bhakti Sutta describes that uh, it's this uh, supreme love of God is Bhakti. So he's describing, uh, but his audience had learned a lot and heard a lot about Vedanta. So he's trying to show how Bhakti fits into Vedanta. What is Ishwara? What is Brahman? So he goes into those. We won't, and then he goes into Nidra Guru. So I'll start there. Every soul is destined to be perfect, and every being in the end will attain the state of perfection. Sometimes I think Swami Vivekananda, his opening statement, blasts, <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's like one statement is uh, 90% of world religion collapses, the view of Daima, uh, on this one statement. You know, because uh, so much in, in, in the discipleship lecture, he describes the qualifications of a disciple. Uh, qual- it's a heavy qualification, the high standard of Vedantic guru, a Vedantic disciple. One of the qualifications is to have no interest in anything in this world or anything in the next world. Right, that's the first qualification. No interest in anything in this world or the next world. That means heaven. Right, so going to heaven shouldn't be the goal. And a verse of that, going, not going to hell shouldn't be the goal. Right, and most people's religion, I, have to, I mean, it can be, I mean, even we grew up with this kind of idea of religion, right, it's like you, you know, it's like there's something fundamentally flawed with the human being, right, so much so that we can be called as a born sinner, right, worthy of, 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 of damnation, if not for the salvific grace. And so if you believe 
then you're, you have access to that reservoir of grace and therefore can go to heaven. And if not, then the punishment of your, your essential bad nature will be fully vetted on you and you go to hell, you experience hell. And uh, so Swami Vivekananda makes a very strong argument is that this is not religion. Actually, it is religion. This is not this is this is not the religion. He's not Vedanta. What he's talking about, right? Uh, this is uh, it's it's natural. We, nobody wants to suffer, and everybody wants to enjoy. Everybody wants something better. Nobody wants something worse. That's natural. And somebody tells if you do this or you think this or you believe this, right? Then you'll get something better, and you won't get something worse. That's very that's a that's a nice setup actually, right? It's not so it's not so bad, right? And it's uh, but it's not not the highest motivation for religion. Right, right. So, uh, talk words, uh, talk, uh, uh, Samaji uh, quoting some Swami Adiguru Shankaracharya. It's it's the desire for liberation is should be the foundation. Right, that's the f- in his um, in that discipleship he ends with that. Should, the real motivation is desire for freedom, desire for God, desire for direct divine experience. Uh, and so even this, so this, every soul is destined to be perfect. So this is a statement of uni- what in theology they call it universal salvation, right? A, and and Abbot George, the way he would say that nothing that comes from God can be eternally separated from Him, right? That's a, if you start with that, then you take you take the idea of an eternal hell away, right? Whatever heaven is, whatever God is, right? Everyone's destined to attain it, right? So just that first statement, what a what a, what a, what a it's a huge it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful commentary and in a certain sense, rejection of most religion, right? It's like the qualification of a disciple, take this off the table. You're not going to hell. Even if you go to hell, it's not permanent. And if you go to heaven, that's the problem. In Hinduism, the view is even heaven's not permanent, right? So that can't be the goal, right? So everything is destined, so, so it's not just going, here it doesn't say everybody's destined to go to heaven, right? Everyone's destined to be perfect, right? And Vedanta and Swamiji would, would say that actually everyone, actually everyone is perfect, Right, we're in, in our essential nature, right? But we don't doesn't feel doesn't feel that way sometimes. Some days it doesn't, really doesn't feel we don't feel that perfect. But sometimes just once the first statement: every soul is destined to be perfect. His definition, one of his definitions of religion, he says every soul is potentially divine. For a long time, I had a little heart that potential means that can possibly be right. You have potential in you. You can potentially become a, a doctor. Right, we use that word. That's not what he means. Potential means the power is there. Diamond, come, come closer. Yeah, you can, you can. I don't want you to hide in the background. Oh, good, you found a plane. Good. <laughs> right. um, uh, uh, it means that that by saying everyone is potential divine means everyone is divine. God's already within you. The potency is already there. That's it's, it's like a, something's potent. Right. Everything. Everyone is potentially divine. And the purpose of life, the purpose of religion, the purpose of philosophy is to manifest that divinity. Right. So here, every everyone's destined by everyone's destined to be perfect is that divinity will be uh, manifested, and every being in the end will attain perfection. Where whatever we are now is a result of our acts and thoughts in the past, and whatever we shall be in the future will be the result of what we think and do now. Anybody know where that line comes from? That's the direct. That's the first learn. That's the first verse of a scripture. He justifies many things. That there, you can put footnotes on everything. Talk Swamiji says is from some text or some, you know. Everything. I'll read it again. Whatever we are now is a result of our acts and th- 
uh, of our acts and thoughts in the past. Whatever we shall be in the future will be the result of what we think and do now. The first verse of the Dharmapada. Dhar- uh, Dharmapada. Dhar- 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 Dharmapada. Right? Uh, probably the, the central uh, authentic text in Buddhism. Right? So that all, the, all that we are now is a result of what we've done. In, it's our karma. Right? We, our thoughts and actions have led to where we are now. And our thoughts and actions now will lead to the future. Right, so if, if we're if we're destined to d- to attain perfection, if we're not in perfection now, it's because of our thoughts and actions that have led to this state of not knowing our perfection, right? And if we're going to attain perfection, it's by by changing our thoughts and minds, thoughts and actions now. So he's setting it up. Whatever we are now is a result of our acts and thoughts in the past, and whatever we shall be in the future is a result of what we think and do now. By this, the shaping of our own destiny, but this, the shaping of our own destiny, does not preclude the receiving of help from outside. So while we create our own future, outside help is helpful. Nay, in the vast majority of cases, such help is absolutely necessary. When it comes, the higher powers and possibilities of the soul are quickened. Spiritual life is awakened. Growth is animated. And in the end, man becomes holy and perfect. We can get some grace from outside. It seems to help. This quickening impulse cannot be derived from books. That's his also statement. Right? So we need help. We need some inspiration. We need some guidance. We need some extra thing that could help us attain it. Attain that perfection. Right? But it's not in books. Even in this book. <laughs> right? His, his words aren't a book yet. Right? <laughs> but, but you can see, but in a certain sense, such statements are, I mean, we, so we feel his potency in the book. We see, like, the Gospel of Ramakrishna is a living book. We feel Ramakrishna in the living book. Right, but uh, 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 it's not the same as inspiration. It's not the inspiration of 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 instruct of of of, uh, of um, uh, information, even divine information. It's some thing. Sri Ramakrishna talking to Swami Vivekananda is a great, beautiful example. He says, if I remember properly, he says, "Get one alman- almanac." Right, the almanac is uh, describes the uh, the expected rainfall of the year for this year. The farm, like we have the Poor Richard's almanac or something like that, right? It describes, right? He says, and you, there it has tables of the expected rainfall of that of that year, right? And he says, now squeeze it, right? You know, <laughs> right? And not a drop of water comes out. It's only about rain, without a drop of water. So these books are only about God, but there's no God in them, right? The sh- there's something that's not there, right? So even books, so uh, ev- even books are important. We don't, we don't, we lo- we happen to love books. It's maybe a good quality or a bad quality. I don't know, <laughs> right? But the the uh, uh, the spark, Swamiji says, has to come from a living soul. The quickening impulse cannot be derived from books. The soul can receive impulse only from another soul and from nothing else. We may study books all our lives. We will become very intellectual. But in the end, we find that spirituality has not developed at all. It is not true that a high order of intellectual development always goes hand in hand with, the purpo- with a proportionate development in the spiritu- spiritual side of man. In studying books, we are sometimes alluded to thinking that thereby we are being spiritually helped. But if we analyze the effect of the study of books on ourselves, we shall find that, at the utmost, it is only our intellect that derives profit from such studies, and not our inner spirit. This inadequacy of books to quicken spiritual growth is the reason why, although almost every one of us can speak most wonderfully 
on spiritual matters. When it comes to action and the living of a spiritual life, we find ourselves so awfully deficient. To quicken the spirit, the impulse must come from another soul. The person from whose soul such an impulse comes is called the guru, the teacher. And the person whose soul the impulse is conveyed to impulse is conveyed is called the shisha, the student. Or we would probably do it, shisha, the student or disciple. So he's now giving this definition. The one who gives the spark, the impulse, the push, is a guru. And the one who receives it is the disciple. This is a definition. To convey such an impulse to any soul in the first place, the soul from which it proceeds must possess the power of transmitting it. You can't give what you don't have. Right? So if, if I'm going to give you something, it means I have to have something to give you. Right? As it were, to another. And in the second place, the soul which, to which it is transmitted must be fit to receive it. Right, these both things. You have to, I, somebody has to have something to give, and you have to have the ability to receive it. Right. I know one Swami, uh, I don't remember his name right now, he was, as a young boy, he met Swami Shivananda in Rishikesh, right? And Swami should called him, come, 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 I'm going to give you some sweets. Right, to the boy, let me see your hand, put your hand a little smaller than your hand, a little tiny hand, when you're, like your sister's hands, right? And he takes, Swami Shivananda was a big man, right? And big, big, big body man with huge hands, right? And he takes this big thing of, of and puts it in the hands of the little boy. And of course, it spills everywhere. He can't hold it. And his father got very upset. What are you spilling? And then Swami Shiva, don't worry. And uh, in, in when he gets older, he can, he'll be able to hold it all. And he became a monk and became glorious in his own way. You know, right? He has no. He had a little boy. He has. He can't hold. He can't hold what Swami Shiva wanted to give him. But eventually, he would hold what Swami Shiva wanted to give them. He'd grow up. You know, he'd become qualified. This is called the adhikari, the qualification of the of the disciple. The seed must be a living seed, and the field must be ready, ready plowed. And when both these conditions are fulfilled, a wonderful growth of genuine religion takes place. A living seed and a ready field. And he's quoting from the scriptures. The true preacher of religion has to be of wonderful capacities, and clever shall be the hearer also. The guru should be great, the student must be great. And when both of these are really wonderful, and extraordinary then will result a splendid spiritual awakening and not otherwise such alone are the real teachers and such alone also are the real students the real aspirants I like this I, I was in my kutir a little while ago and I was kind of taking a nap I was I should look what I'm what I'm reading <laughs> before I'm getting too embarrassed not looking not, not knowing and I, I, was, I thought this was very nice is this is the quality these are the real teachers and the real students and then he then he he gives another another way of saying student aspirants, aspirant a student you go to school you're a student aspirant is different somebody who, you know I don't have to talk aspirant means, aspires I guess, <laughs> or aspire, I like the word aspire or, or what of uh, uh, Ram ji uses he calls it a striver, that's his definition so it means this is means sadak not just student it means sadak, aspirant is Swamiji's language I like uh, a striver is also even because aspiring could. We don't have that a very developed, the same developed idea of an aspirant, 
but uh, but some uh, somebody who strives, uh, striving to what is it striving? Destined to be perfect, striving to be perfect, striving for God, striving for liberation, striving for devotion, striving like this. Right? This is the qualification of a real student. All others are only playing with spirituality. They have just a little curiosity awakened, just a little intellectual aspiration kindled in them, and are merely standing on the outward fringes of the horizon, horizon of religion. There is no doubt some value even to that, since it may in the course of time result in the awakening of a real thirst for religion. And it is mysterious law of nature that as soon as the field is ready, the seed must and does come. As soon as a soul earnestly desires to have religion, the transmitter of the religion, for of the religious force, must and does appear to help that soul. So even most it may not like I said, most people are on the outer edges of religion, but that has value because that may be the, the the plowing of the field bit by bit, and when it's ready, immediately the seed will come. When the power which attracts the light of religion in the receiving soul is full and strong. The power which answers to the attraction and sends in light does come in the matter, of course. What's that line from some uh, Arabindo about the the soul aspiring and then the descent of grace? Oh, the great and difficult thing which we wish to accomplish. Yeah, what the, that supreme grace descending from above and the earnest and the yearning from below. Yeah, these two, that combination, the yearning is great from below. Actually, even that's how this lightning that may come works. Some, there's, a, <laughs> there's, there's two things, there's, a, there's a, a charge on the above and a different charge below, and then when that happens, some, something dramatic may just happen, you know? Uh, very, very nice. Where are we? There are, however, certain great dangers in the way. There is, for instance, a danger of, rec of the receiving soul of, of the receiving soul mistaking momentary emotions for real religious yearning. We may see this in ourselves. Many a time in our lives, somebody dies whom we loved. We receive a blow. We feel that the world is slipping between our fingers, and we want something sure and higher that we must be and, and that we must become religious. In a few days, that wave of feeling passes away, and we are left stranded, exactly where we were before. Thakur talks about that somebody something happens in that. I'm I'm renouncing the world. I'm going to going to Kailash. You know, it's like, and when whether he he goes no, so he re I renounces the world. Right, he didn't go well with work. He renounces the world, leaves his family, and goes to uh, Banaras. Mm -hmm. And then after a few months, he writes back home to to his wife. Don't worry, I found a job. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I'll send money soon. I'll be back shortly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like that brick renunciation was not quite quite. <laughs> so that's okay. Even that has its value, perhaps, right? But it's this is not the real hunger of the soul. Momentary emotion is not the same. All of us often mistake such impulses for real thirst after religion. But as long as these momentary emotions are thus mistaken, that continuous real craving of the soul for religion will not come. And we shall not find the true transmitter of spirituality. If that real longing is not there, the real guru won't come. So whenever we are tempted to complain that our search after the truth, that our search after the truth that we desire so much is proving vain, Instead of so complaining, our first duty is to look into our own soul and find whether the craving in the heart is real. Then, in the vast majority of cases, cases it will be discovered 
that we were not fit to receive the truth and that and there was no real thirst for spirituality there is still greater danger in this regard in regard to the transmitter so this is the danger of the one seeking transmission and the uh, the guru the, now the transmitter the guru there are many who though immersed in ignorance yet in the pride of their of their hearts fancy they know everything and not only do they stop there but they offer to take others on their shoulders and thus the blind leading the blind both fall into the ditches fool and then he quotes from mundakya upanishad mundaka upanishad fools dwelling in darkness wise in their own conceit and puffed up with vain knowledge go round and round staggering to and fro daima there's probably a seat back here you can take staggering to and fro like blind men led by the blind i think we even have blind led by the blind is that in the biblical bible also might be there's some line like that but you know an ignorant blind person leading a blind person what happens they both fall into a ditch ultimately the world is full the world is full of these everyone wants to be a teacher every beggar wants to make a gift of a million dollars just as such beggars are ridiculous so are such teachers the very strong samajis like a beggar wanting to give here take a million dollars yeah interesting so the next that's a very short the next one he goes the qualifications of both aspirant and teacher teacher this is a little lighter in that other section discipleship is the qualifications for like vedanta and these are like already complete renunciation absolute control of the senses complete control of the mind full you know you know <laughs> i mean we're a little start a little bit it's good to know but a little bit discouraging these these are for the rest of us we can try to stay how then are we to know a teacher or a guru the sun requires no torch to make itself visible we need not light a candle in order to see it when the sun rises we instantly become aware of the fact and when the teacher of men comes to help us the soul will instinctively know that truth has a, that truth has already begun to shine upon it truth stands on its own evidence it does not require any other testimony to demonstrate it it is self effulgent this is interesting because this is not our normal definition of how you know something is true to know something is true you need evidence to confirm that it's true right but it's guruji used to say the same thing there's no amount of evidence can actually it's interesting some of you at another place in his gana yoga in his gana yoga he makes a very interesting point he says that uh of course samaji also brilliant he knew philosophy western philosophy indian philosophy all the schools of philosophy the modern theologians of his time he uh, the, the 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 religious preachers of his time that were preaching against him he knew all that he was very very knowledgeable these things is that all these people are trying to prove god's existence right the, the philosophers the theologians <laughs> prove or for against god's existence but the people i know who know god who who know god's existence who realize god none of them engage in any of these arguments all these descriptions we're trying to like oh there's a there's a, the uh theory from intelligent design there's you know there you there it has to be there can't be effect without a cause there has to be an original cause there's all these i mean i think now there's been developed beyond what i studied in school you know we we studied all the all the arguments for and against the existence of god right but no saint has ever made any of these arguments right and it's like how, and so you so say how do you know well, how do you know god exists he says why well, know god exists how do you know god exists prove it yeah, what what do you say <laughs> when you know you will also when you when you know you'll also know 
There's nothing can be said. So it's really hard. Because, I mean, it's not a by modern standards, it's not a demonstrable fact, right? So that's the point trying to demonstrate philosophically or maybe even scientifically or neurologically God's maybe, I mean, according to Swamiji and according to our Guruji it's an impossible possibility so it can only be known, Guruji's language maybe Shrivananda says you can only be known, the self can only be known in the ecstasy of intuition that's his, his language, right? It's not a, it's not a and not a, a, an object to be uh, discussed. It's not a no amount of reasoning can prove it or disprove it. Right. Swami Paramananda, our Guru Bhai, he says that all this philosophy we study is not cannot reveal the truth. Right. All it does is remove error, falsehood. Right. So by thinking clearly, you you remove wrong thinking. Thinking care, thinking carefully is very important. You remove mistakes in thinking, but it doesn't reveal the truth. That's the problem. Right. Only by direct knowledge. So here, uh, uh, it is the truth stands on its own evidence, and then the example of like like the sun when the sun shines. How do you what do you need to see the sun? Get a flashlight. We'll go look to see if the sun shines. Okay, I'll go get a flashlight and see if I can find it. Right, the sun itself is its own evidence. Right. Uh, when you don't see the sun, then you need evidence. Then then you collect evidence and reason, and you ask, you check your app, right? <laughs> you 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 study. Well, you know the sun has to be there because of the orbit of the Earth. Right, otherwise, you know, like you know, the seasons. We, by that, we, even if we don't, see, if it's cloudy, we don't see the sun. We can infer that it's there by indirect evidence, right? And, and like that. But when the sun shines, then you don't need any such evidence, right? Uh, if you don't see the sun, then you can. Oh, the sun was there yesterday, so I'm assuming by inference that it's there today. You know, there can be all kinds of things you could. But or, it's its own evidence, right? When it comes up, you don't need to, anybody to tell you. So in the same way, he says that the, the, that when the uh, a real teacher comes, or not even a real teacher, when your teacher comes, then you know it automatically. It penetrates into innermost corners of our nature, and in its presence, the whole universe stands up and says, "This is the truth." When you see the truth, the whole universe says, "This is the truth." The beautiful and Swamiji. I don't have the passion to read Swamiji properly. He was very. He's an, he was an orator. You know, I can imagine he would even like. <laughs> he, and he was so po po powerful. You have to read Swamiji. I mean, I read it all the time. You should read it out loud, right? And the more like melodramatic, you can almost like, you know, how then are we to know the teacher? <laughs> you almost have to like get it, get it right. I, I don't have the. I I feel silly. <laughs> we've we've lost that style, but right, it's not my style. But uh, uh, it. On, in, in a closed room, you can read it this way. You try to dramatize it, and you can, where nobody's listening to you. You can, but you're, somebody is listening to you. The soul will 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 will, will get up. You know. Uh, this is the truth. The teachers whose wisdom and truth shine like the light of the sun are the very greatest the world has known, and they are worshipped as God by the majority, by the major portion of mankind. Right. So these great ones that are self-revealed, like sun, like blazing suns, right? These we, those nobody questions. Those are worshipped. I mean, you think these are what we call the founders of religions, the prophets of religion, the saviors of religion, Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Ram. You know, these are inconceivable. You know, seeing them, we know if there's a God, that's God. We don't know what else. So how, what else what can can you worship these people, right? And so everybody wants that type of guru, right? We want Jesus, we want Krishna, we want Ramakrishna, you know, Dattatreya, you know, it's like shining like 10,000 suns and bas you know, scorched by his, you know, it's like, or the, you know, some, you know, 
but the problem is that some I quoted last week, Swami Shivananda has in his uh, uh, Bhakti and Sankirtan book, he has a great line. He says that Chait- Gorangas, Chaitanyas, and Mirabais, right? Such souls they're born every five hundred years, right? Th- those type of souls are not ev- not every guru is that type of soul, right? You know, uh, where it's, it's, you know. And, but the ego wants that type of soul, <laughs> right? And so either it rejects what, what it think, the actual relationship with the proper teacher because they're looking for some glow-in-the-dark avatar type, type of person, or they take their n- normal, normal, healthy relationship with the teacher and make, oh, they're God, they're an avatar, right? They're the, they're the uh, all gods and goddesses, so this is an, you know, we can make those type of things, right? But uh, so Swami Vivekananda is saying those teachers, there's great teachers like that, the prophets and saviors of mankind, the Jagat Gurus we would probably call them, you know, the world Gurus. Those uh, uh, those teachers whose wisdom and truth shine like the light of the sun are the great, very greatest that the world has known, and they are worshipped as God by major portion of mankind. But we may get help from comparatively lesser teachers, right? Also, only we ourselves do not possess intuition enough to judge properly of the properly of the man from whom we receive teachings and guidance. So there ought to be a certain test, certain conditions that, uh, for the teacher to satisfy and also for the taught. So this is like, since we don't know, knowing that the, the, the can't say common guru because there's no such thing as a common guru, but an or ordinary, Prabhupada uses as ordinary guru, regular guru, right? They said, be right when he told the disciples to take disciples, be what type of guru, be regular. They're not him, but they're qualified to, to pass on the tradition, be a regular guru, right? So what does it mean to be a regular guru? Since we don't know the, 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 the qualification, how do we judge, right? So there should be, should be some standard, right? So here he's giving the standard. Can you, you want to sit here? You can see it right here. Jaima. So what is the standard? Yeah, I think it may rain. It's changing. You can feel it. The pressure is changing. Very exciting. Um, so what are the qualifications for the teacher? What are the qualifications for the taught? The conditions necessary for the taught, so this is what, this is the, our condition as disciples, what does it mean? Are purity, a real thirst after knowledge and perseverance. Right? Purity, thirst after knowledge and, and perseverance. No impure soul can be really religious. Purity in thought, speech and act is absolutely necessary for anyone to be religious. As the thirst for after knowledge as to the thirst after knowledge, it is an old law that we get only what we want. None of us can get anything other than what we fix our hearts upon. To pant for religion is truly a very difficult thing. Here, religion does mean I, I, can, I, I can pant and then accept a religion. That's not what's meant. Religion here is a union with God, you know, a connection. He's using the word in a specific way. To pant after God, to pant after religion, I mean, extreme longing. I like this word, pant. Uh, is a very difficult thing. It is not easy as we generally imagine. Hearing religious talks, reading religious books is no proof yet of real want felt in the heart. There must be a continuous struggle, a constant fight, an unremitting grappling with our lower nature till the higher want is actually felt and victory is achieved. It is not a question of one or two days, of years or of lives. The struggles may have to go for hundreds of lifetimes. Successes may sometime come immediately, but we, we must be ready to wait patiently 
even what may, what may look like an infinite length of time. The student who sets out with such a spirit of perseverance will surely find success and realization at last. Remember, in so, uh, I think Takori tells a story, or Samji, I, I don't I have to admit I don't remember. I think Sri tells a story where I think maybe Narada Muni is walking along and he sees somebody under a yogi under a tree. It's a typical story. Narada Muni walks around and meets a yogi under a tree. All stories <laughs> roughly like that, but it's like that. Like, uh, and, and, the, and the yogi says, Where are you going? I'm going to Vaikuntha right now to, uh, to do some business with Vishnu. Oh, can you please ask him how long it will take me to realize, to become, attain liberation and realize, realize him? Yes, I'll ask him. Walks a little bit further, another yogi under another tree. Yes. Yeah, I start needs at least two yogis to compare. And, and he says, Where are you going? I'm going to Baikunta. Ah, very good. Can you please ask Vishnu uh, how long it will take? So he goes, talks to Vishnu, asks his question, comes back. Coming back, he comes to that, st- that one yogi. He says, So what did, what did, what did uh, Vishnu say? He says, It will take three lives. Right? You're almost there. It'll take three lives. Like, I, I've been fasting and like, covered in ash and there's no good food and like after all this and still I'll take three lies forget it right he throws I'm you know I'm gonna go get a job and a hamburger and he leaves you know like forget this it's too much work right you know right what does that mean that means he won't ever attain he just gave up right you know he had three lives and he won't attain anything he gave up right so Narada Muni goes to the second yogi goes what did Vishnu say he says you see that tree this tree you're sitting as many leaves there are in that tree that many leaves you'll attain you have lives you'll have to do before you attain realization he goes ah, you mean that will attain liberation <laughs> it's possible right immediately he was liberated right it's a very nice you know <coughs> with regard to the teacher there must we must see Okay, so that's the qualification of the student, uh, is purity, steadfastness, and thirst for knowledge, right? So then what are the qualifications of the, of the guru? With regard to the teacher, we must see that he knows the spirit of the scriptures. The whole world reads Bibles, Vedas, and Qurans, but they are all only words, syntax, etymology, philo- philology, the dry bones of religion. The teacher who does deals too much in words and allows the mind to be carried away by the force of the word loses the spirit. It is knowledge of the spirit of the scriptures alone that characterizes the true religious teacher or guru. The network of the words of the scriptures is like a huge forest in which the human mind often loses itself and finds no way out. Here's verses like this. Is that the, the statements that the, the scriptures are the Veda, even like the Vedas, the Vedas are the ultimate authority in, in the Hindu religion. And it says, but the statements that Vedas are, are are vast, complicated, and contradictory. Right. So if you, within the Vedas, you're lost like in a forest. So how does that help? Even if you study like that, the network of words is a big. Fo- and then he qu- he's quoting, the network of words is a big forest. It is the cause of aimless wanderings of the mind. The various methods of joining words and various methods of speaking in beautiful language, the various methods of explaining the diction of the scriptures are only there for disputations and enjoyment of the learned. They do not conduce to the development of spiritual perception. He's, this is also in quotes, I mean he's quoted in the scripture and he's not, he doesn't state the scripture. I have to compare but I think I know the scriptures, from the, I think it's from the Bhagavatam but it may be, even the version of the Bhagavatam may be quoting a known type of thing. It says that actually these uh, these controversies of religion are meant for the enjoyment of the educated. 
right? We and edu- the more educated, the more you enjoy it. It is very entertaining, right? <laughs> right, such uh, the thing. But it's not the uh, uh, it's not the direct realization, not the knowledge. Uh, those who employ such methods to impart religion to others are only desirous to show off their learning, so that the world may praise them as great scholars. You will find that not one of the great teachers of the world ever went into these various explanations of the text. There is with them no attempt of text torturing, no external playing upon the meaning of words and their roots. Yet they taught nobly, while others who have nothing to teach have taken up a word sometime and written three volumes book on its origin, on the man who used it first, and what that man was accustomed to eat, and how long he slept, and so on. <laughs> Very funny. Bhagavan Sri Ramakrishna used to tell a story about some men who went into a mango orchard. It's a very famous story, right? Uh, and busied, them, busied themselves in counting the leaves, the twigs, and the branches, examining their color, comparing their sizes, and noting down everything most carefully, and who then got up a learned discussion on each of these topics, which were undoubtedly highly interesting to them. But another man, more sensible than they, did not care for all these things and instead began to eat mangoes. <laughs> and was he not wise? So leave this counting of leaves and twigs and this note-taking to others. This work has its proper place but is not here in the spiritual domain. You never see a strong spiritual man among those leaf counters leaf counters <laughs> but you know that's his definition I remember it in my final paper in a class at OCC on uh, philosophy of religion and I had to, it was one of these you have to you have to you have to present you know it was a, it was a, it was a case for and against the existence of God for using different uh, uh, arguments you know this argument and that argument see which one was the ultimate winner and and so we we had to, that was the assignment we had to do that you know and 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 then the, even at that time the ultimate conclusion well there's no proof of either way it's more likely than not that such a god exists that created the world because you have a world of, of, of complicated form you know it's one of those type of stuff right but then I put I put this story at the end of the of, uh, at the end of the talk you know like this has been a very enjoyable class but it's like this is not quite <laughs> and I remember the teacher he called me you know I visited him uh, uh, he was you know everybody has like a teacher at school that you like hang out with and you know go to his, his you know kind of a mentor type and he was my teacher Dr. Anaker uh, Gain Anaker, uh, a brilliant person, but he and, and he wrote a little, and then afterward I said, you know, he said me, so I read your, you know, it's like you, I got it. Luckily, in that class, uh, the only class I ever got a, a actually a, a really good grade. I got a good grade on that class. I was very happy with myself because uh, 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 I have to like really. I, the problem is I have a leaf counting tendency, so it was good. I could I could I could play the game and do it, you know, right? But he says it's like that that your that that statement actually that that that. His argu- his thing is that actually counting the leaves, right, is the goal of this class. You know? <laughs> and then you're thinking of like it's like, like it's like this is not a class on this is not a class on meditation or prayer, right? This is a class on the arguments for and against, like arguments presented in religion, uh, where philosophy and religion and theology, you know, it's like that itself is a legitimate course of study. And like it's like, it's like yes, I know he himself was a deeply religious man, you know, so he know he was also that struggle, you know. But I thought that was interesting. I gave it was my final my final thing I did at OCC was. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be quote, yeah, <laughs> uh, quoting. Uh, 
The second, so the first condition, and he must know the inner meanings of the scriptures. Actually, this, actually the verse, he's, Swamiji is not making this up. It's not his ideas. He's quoting from established standards, right? Uh, uh, and, and actually it says it should know the outer and inner, the original verse says it should know the outer and inner meanings of the scriptures. So you should know the scriptures. It's not like, oh, the, scri- oh, the essence of the Gita is surrender to God. Or the rest of the, G- of the Gita of the Bible is accept uh, God's love for, in your life and forgiveness. That could be the answer, but that, but that doesn't make you, you don't give you a theological theolo- a theology degree. Uh, because, you, because that is the essence. Sri Ramakrishna said the essence of the Gita is what you get by saying the word ten times fast. Gita, 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 Gita becomes Tyagi, which means renunciation. Right? So that's the essence of it. Right? But, I mean, I can also give, uh, I, I, I took a class on Bhagavad Gita at the, at the GTU. I would have been very nervous saying that, oh, that's tiagi, 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 and turn the paper in. That's <laughs> the essence of the Gita. <laughs> so, so, so you should, know, should actually know the text. The, the guru should know the text as well as their, their inner meaning, not just... Uh, uh, the second condition of the teacher is sinlessness. The question is often asked, why should we look into the character and personality of a teacher? We have only to judge what he says and to take that up. This is not right. If a man wants to teach me something of, di- of dynamics or of, of dynamics or chemistry or any other physical science, he may be anything he likes. But what the physical science requires is mere for because what the physical science requires is merely an intellectual, an intellectual equipment. But in the spiritual science, it is impossible, from first to last, that there should be any spiritual light in the soul that is impure. What religion can an impure man teach? The sin, sin Quran, right? I think you know that. It's starting. Daima. Hmm? Is it raining? It's starting it's to rain. Starting. Are you getting wet? I got a few drops. You can go a few minutes, maybe, before this picture the camera. Okay. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see how much I can get. <laughs> a few minutes. <coughs> What religion can an impure man teach? The sin quanon of, of acquiring spiritual truths for oneself or for imparting it to others is purity of heart and soul. A vision of God or a glimpse of the beyond never comes until the soul is pure. Hence, with the teacher of religion, we must first see that he is what he is and then what he says. And that's a very interesting. First what he is, then what he says. Swami Vivekananda, Swami even, not even what he does. Right, Swami Shivananda says, "Be good, do good." Many people do good, but they're not good. Right, <laughs> first be good, then do good, and then, then you are good. Right, you know. What can be taught if this? What can? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, he must be perfectly pure, and then alone will his words come to have value, because he is only, he is only then, a true transmitter. What can he transmit if he has no spiritual power in himself? There must be a worthy vib- vibration of spirituality in the mind of the teacher so that he may sympathetically convey it to the mind of the, of the taught. The function of the teacher is indeed an affair of the transmis- transference of something and not one of mere stimulation of the e- e- existing intellectual or other faculties in the taught. Something real and appreciable as an influence comes from the teacher and goes to the taught, therefore the teacher must be pure. How are we doing? Any more? There's only a few paragraphs. I'll see if I can finish. 
The third condition is with regard to motive. I think this is a very important one. And this is one of my favorite. Also, I have like 15 like things you write on Rolodex cards and keep around, you know, <laughs> like the, the our, uh, index cards. It's great lines. The teacher must not teach with an ulterior selfish motive for money, name, or fame. His work must be simply out of love, out of pure love for mankind at large. The only medium through which the spiritual force can be transmitted is love. Any selfish motive, such as desire for gain or for name, will Im immediately destroy this conveying medium. God is love, and only he who has known God as love can be a teacher of godliness and God to man. I love this verse, you know, this this line, you know, so it, that the medium is only love, and selfishness and love don't go together, right? When you see in your teacher these conditions, that these conditions are fulfilled, you are safe. If they are not, it is unsafe to allow yourself to be taught by him. For there is a great danger that if he cannot convey goodness to your heart, he may convey wickedness. The danger must be by all means, be, this danger must by all means be guarded against. He who is learned in the scriptures, sinless, unpolluted by lust, and is the greatest knower of Brahman, is the real teacher. Quoting from the scriptures. From what has been said, it naturally follows that we cannot be taught to love, appreciate, or assimilate religion everywhere by everybody. Sermons and stone. Then he quotes a very beautiful poetic line, right? Sermons, what is, uh, uh, sorry, uh, sermons and stones, brooks and running brooks, uh, books and running brooks, and good in everything. Right? This is, you know, every, I learn from everything, from the mountains, from the hills, from the book, everything, you know. He says, it is all very true as a po poetical figure, but nothing can impart to a man a single grain of truth unless he, is, unless he has an undeveloped germ in it of it in himself. To whom do the stones and brooks preach sermons? To that, to that human soul, the lotus of whose holy inner shrine is already about to open. Then you get inspiration even from nature. Like Guru Dattatreya, I learn from everything. The 24 Gurus, from a bee, from a bird, from everything like that. But we see bees and birds and nothing happens. We don't learn anything <laughs> from that. You have to be ready for that. You know, bees aren't the Guru. You know, it's like, oh, I don't, who's your Guru? Oh, bees are my Guru. <laughs> right? That's what becomes silly. But, but to Dattatreya, it's like, wow, we, we've been telling that story for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. How, how bees became Dattatreya's guru, how crow became Dattatreya's guru, how uh, a woman's dangling uh, uh, um, bracelets become his guru. Right, you know, it has to be the right, so it has to be something in the soul. To the human, uh, um, uh, when the heart has thus been opened, it becomes fit to receive teachings from the stones and the brooks, the stars and the sun and the moon, or from anything that exists in our divine universe. But to the unopened heart, but the unopened heart will see them in in them nothing but mere stones or mere brooks. A blind man may go to a museum, but he will not profit by it in any way. His eyes must be opened first, and then alone will he be able to learn what the things in the museum can teach. This eye-opener of the aspirant after religion is called the teacher, the guru. With the teacher, therefore, our relationship is the same as that between a descendant and his ancestors. Without faith, humility, submission, and veneration in our hearts towards our religious teacher, there cannot be any growth of religion in us. It is a significant fact that there was this kind of relation between the teacher, between the teacher and the taught, that where, sorry, that where this kind of relation between the teacher and the taught prevails, there alone do gigantic spiritual men grow. While in those countries which have neglected to keep up this kind of relation, the religious, teach, uh, the religious teacher has come to be a mere lecturer. 
the teacher existing, expecting his five dollars and the person taught expecting his brain to be filled with the teacher's words and each going on his own way after this much has been done. We do this in school, you pay, you pay your money, you give me the information, then we're finished. Right, he says that this is the problem. This is in this culture. This is how it how it is. Under such circumstances, spirituality becomes almost an unknown quantity. There is none to transmit it, and there is none to have it transmitted to. Religion with such people becomes a business. They think they can obtain it with with their dollars. And I think like that. We go to people do they they you go to a fest you go to a, a seminar, you pay money for a class. You want the uh, inner spiritual. You want uh, uh, shamanic empowerment by giving you know it's like this is it's like I pay you money you give me the knowledge this is impossible would would to God that religion could be obtained so easily but unfortunately it cannot be religion which is the highest knowledge and the highest wisdom cannot be taught cannot be bought nor can it be acquired from books you must thrust your head into the corner you may thrust your head into the corners of all the world you may explore the Himalayas the Alps and the Caucasus you may sound the bottom of the sea and pry into every nook of Tibet and the deserts of Gobi but you will not find it anywhere until your heart is ready to receive it and your teacher has come and when that divinely appointed teacher comes serve him with childlike confidence and simplicity freely open your heart to his influence and see in him God manifested those who come to seek the truth with such a spirit of love and veneration, to them the Lord of truth reveals the most wonderful things regarding truth, goodness, and beauty. That's Satyam Shivam Sundaram. Very nice. Swami, Swami Vivekananda. No, no, uh, Swami, I was mentioned last week, uh, uh, Swami um, uh, Shivatmananda from Chinmay Mission, Girish Maharaj. Uh, he's one of the rishis of our age, I believe. Uh, he made a beautiful, he was talking, he says, in the second chapter of the Gita, he was going through each chapter of the Gita, what's the sadhana of that chapter? In the second chapter, he says, the sadhana is bhakti to the guru, because they reveal, because Arjuna becomes a guru of Krishna, a disciple of Krishna. And he says, we respect, we respect the teacher, how much you venerate the teacher until you attain realization, right? And then after you attain realization, you venerate the teacher out of appreciation for the realization. So it's a very nice. The teacher, the re- like in a school, you you respect the teacher until you, you have to obey the teacher until you're taught. Until you're taught. But how do you treat after you've been taught? Then you appreciate how you've been taught. You know, <laughs> there's so much so much love and appreciation. So, anyways, this is I thought a very nice uh, little section to read, and Swamiji is always inspiring, and uh, uh, and you know he was speaking. Of course, he was revealing new things that have, most people haven't heard, but also already there were some you know, the theosophists and ascended masters and there's already things going on in the, the world, of the new thought world that he was preaching to, right? Uh, and so he was both revealing, talking about these principles of bhakti yoga and yoga, but he's also correct, warning and correcting what was going on for the time, right? It was not much change we could, we could, we could analyze and critique the modern time also. Uh, not meaning to critique, but anyways, this is a very nice... Uh, presentation. Thank you for your kind attention. Before it starts pouring, any questions or comments? Om. This holy day. In the tradition of Sri Ramakrishna, of course, we the Guru is the Guru we worship, uh, and we we always we often say Guru is God. We worship Guru is God, and in India that has a certain that makes a certain sense, 
right? And it was a modern. It becomes. It can. You can see how that can easily be, become crazy. <laughs> something beautiful becomes something wicked. You know, and and in the West, it's almost guaranteed to become crazy and wicked. We don't have the background knowledge, right? And so Sri Ramakrishna, he'd say the same thing, but with it. A slightly different thing it says the same thing but it's much safer he says God is a guru right not that the guru is God but the God is a guru right when we say Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Deva Maheshwara Guru Deva Param Brahman the Guru is Brahma Vishnu Shiva and the Supreme Brahman now I have great I mean I wish I had more but I had great faith in our my Guruji right but I actually don't think he created the world and will destroy the world at the end of time right so how is he Brahma Vishnu and Shiva right the one I love him personally, but the one, the guru that acted through him is the one that created the world. Right? It's not saying that my guru is Brahma. No, the one who is Brahma is the one I worship. And we, uh, like we have an image of Durga. It's a clay image or a paper mache image or a clay image of Durga. And, you, and during the ceremony of Pranapatistana, you invoke it for four days, she's worshipped as Durga. Then the prana is reduced and then that image is thrown in the water, in the ocean. Right? Right. So, what would happen is like, is the image? Oh, it's so beautiful, so beautiful. Everybody's bowing, and worshiping, and big, big arati, the whole thing, and dressing, and to be, to be see, to see her and be seen by her and worship her. But it's not the image that you're worshiping, right? That she who is Durga is in the image, and temporarily that image is that that form is there. So, we we uh, this is a safer view, right? That the good, that the one we worship, the one we honor in the Guru. Although the person, personal love to the for the for the person met, that's that due to human relationship, is the uh, daima, is uh, God is a guru, and w- when we when we worship the guru on this holy day, and any day, we're really worshiping God who comes as Thakur called guru tattva. There's a, the the tattva, the guru principle, right? It's a much safer perspective, right? And and Swami, another another interest, another point that came to my mind that I want to think about. Swami Gyanananda, a wonderful Kriya yogi, Swiss man who walked India from Switzerland many years ago. He's passed away a few years ago. A very great saint, I believe, great yogi. And in one article, he's I've heard him say this, but it's also I recently reread an interview with him. So, but I but I've also heard him say this, so it's fresh in my mind from the interview. And uh, uh, he sa- he says, actually, there's uh, uh, there, there's not my guru right there's he always says the guru right he says and he says one time he came to somebody he went to an organization he was invited to some ashram and he said what do you think of our guru he says i don't right and they were very offended because their guru was happened to be the latest incarnation of god it was give you kadarma and the highest technique and travel the west you know with one of those type of ashrams you know uh, they were very offended but then he asked what do you think of my guru right he says why well, we don't know your guru he says why would you know my guru Right, you know, he's not your guru, right? You know, it's like the idea, the idea that my guru has to be the greatest guru. He's the real. He's the, you know, he says it's 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 it's. He says he he wasn't popular there. He he left soon. <laughs> right? It was a dangerous situation, <laughs> right? You know, it's an interesting. So he says I don't like to see. He says he never he never even mentioned his guru's name to people except intimate. His own disciple, he tells, I was initiated by Swami Atmananda, Atmananda was initiated by Paramahansa Yogananda, and by Swami Keshav. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lineage, of course, and the lineage is there. But to say, oh, 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 oh who's your guru? Oh, my guru's from here. Oh, oh, yeah, I, I, I heard him talk when he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? But he's not like this other saint who's come to town. Right? You know, that you can see it's very dangerous, right? 
And and even if there is a comparison between that other saint who came to town, the one that I heard a lecture of recently, right? And so uh, it's some so, so Abbot, quoting Abbot George again. You see a great line. He says that in a in a in a uh, in a, uh, in, a, in, a in a battle in a war, millions of bullets are shot, right? But the one that you have to deal with is the one that hits you, right? So that that's so it says that the one that hits you, that's the one you have to deal with. The other ones doesn't matter, good or bad. And and in in this in this interview, somebody asked him, "Was your guru enlightened?" Right. And sorry, there's a rule that Sami Chidananda talked about. That if you ask him, was it, somebody asked him, I was there, if, are you enlightened? He says, that's against the rules. <laughs> <laughs> he says, there's a rule against them. You can't ask that question. Right. He says, do you know why? He says, he says, uh, he says that if I say yes, right, all my disciples will leave me. Because what guru will say, yes, I'm enlightened. <laughs> right. It's forbidden to say such a thing. And if I say no, all my disciples, wh- why would you follow an unenlightened guru? <laughs> <laughs> right? So this question's not allowed. The questions you should ask, do I know inner and outer knowledge of the scripture? Am I initiated by a proper guru? Do I have a selfish intention for teaching you? Can I answer? You know, it's like, that's the proper question. And do you have a relationship with me? Not am I like this? So, uh, uh, so somebody asked him, Sami Gyanananda, uh, is your guru enlightened? And he, he, very nice, he says, I was drowning and he threw me a rope. Right? So I didn't ask him if he was enlightened. Let's believe it with that. Jai Guru, Jai Ma. What time is it now? Let's see. So eight. Six. That's raining. We can still talk ten minutes. Training. Jai Ma, Jai Ma, Jai Ma.